When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome in to Outkick the Show, Monday edition. Clay Travis here with all of you, and I hope you are having a fabulous two weeks until Christmas hangout. A um, little bit of uh, shopkeeping. Uh, I will be here Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday with Outkick the Show. Uh, Wednesday, I'm going to do a NFL and college football bowl game preview uh, with Kelly Stewart. And then I'm off to Australia. So I am spending Christmas and New Year's down under in Australia. I've never been before. I can't wait to go. Taking my family, obviously. We're going to be leaving on Friday uh, and we'll be gone from Christmas and the New Year. So I can't wait for that. Uh, going to be a lot of fun. And, uh, and uh, it should be a really cool trip. So... That, again, is going to happen. Um, I'll do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then I'm gone for several weeks. So just so you know, I haven't vanished. I haven't been kidnapped, hopefully. Uh, I will just be in Australia. I'll probably be more active on Instagram because I'll be like 15 hours ahead of everybody else. So I'm going to be on a different news cycle. Uh, I'll probably be more active on Instagram posting photos from the Great Barrier Reef, from Sydney, from Carnes, from Melbourne, all over the place in Australia. I've never been. So if you're interested in a trip to Australia, I'll probably post things on Instagram more than I'll be on Twitter. Uh, But just FYI for housekeeping purposes there. Uh, Okay, let's dive in uh, right off the top before uh, I go any further. Tornadoes ripped through my hometown of Nashville uh, all over. Uh, the mid-state of Tennessee region. At least six people have lost their lives, maybe more. I haven't seen the latest updates on that. Uh, But yesterday, I was out at my sister's house. She lives like right on the Gallatin-Hendersonville line, for those of you who are familiar, north of Nashville. And the tornadoes missed her house by like 100 yards. Uh, Unbelievable how much damage they did. I haven't seen the severity of uh, of the tornadic impact but it was pretty intense. And so I'm going to try to do something to help uh, some of those people who are uh, suffering there. Follow me on Twitter. At some point, I'm going to be sharing links to help there. Uh, but, uh, but if you have the resources to be able to help people in a time of need, never a good time to have a major issue. Uh, but to, uh, to lose everything, as many people did, basically 10 days before Uh, 10 or 15 days before Christmas, before the new year, is a brutal time, particularly for anyone with children. Uh, So if you can help, hopefully we will be able to do some things to help those people who who were victimized by the tornadoes that happened. Also want to say right off the top, uh, Frank Wycheck. Frank Wycheck, former Tennessee Titans tight end, for those of you who are not familiar with him, one of the top, if not the top, pass catchers of Steve McNair's entire career. Steve McNair, Frank Wycheck, and Eddie George were for many years 
the linchpins of the Tennessee Titans offense. Steve McNair has been dead, murdered years ago now. Uh, and now Frank Wycheck at the age of 52 dies. I, I just want to say this. I got to know Frank Wycheck pretty well over the years because, and for those of you out there who remember this, um, uh, I, I did local sports talk radio at 104.5 The Zone in Nashville. And Frank was on the morning show with Mark Howard and Kevin Ingram. Really successful morning show for like 15 or 16 years. Those guys were on the air for a long time. When I started doing local sports talk radio, we were the midday show. Uh, 3HL initially stood for three-hour lunch. And so we were on, I believe it was 12 to 3 central time initially. But we would often come in and see Frank and Mark leaving the studio, see him around the studio. Frank was always a great dude. I grew up a fan of Frank. I was in the stands for the Music City Miracle when he had that perfectly executed lateral. Sorry, Buffalo fans. Uh, so I was in the stands as a kid rooting for Frank Wycheck. I then got to know him as an adult. He was an incredibly talented football player, obviously, but just a genuinely good dude. Funny, uh, really engaging, accessible. He never let his fame change the way he was that I saw uh, in his genuine interactions with people from across the entire landscape of the Middle Tennessee area and beyond. And uh, it is a tough loss. Mark Howard also has passed. For those of you who remember that, that's a not insubstantial portion of my life that I spent uh, working alongside of those guys. Just genuinely really good dudes. And, uh, and I'm going to miss Frank Wycheck. I hope uh, that his family in this holiday season is able to uh, to deal as best they can with his loss. But I would want them to know and all of you to know uh, that Frank Wycheck will be very much missed. He was a fantastic guy, incredibly talented football player. Uh, he had concussion-related health issues that forced him to retire at 32 years old. We'll see whether that is connected uh, to his death in Chattanooga. There was a report that he fell and he hit his head, uh, and that was what ultimately caused his death. I imagine there'll be an autopsy and more that will come out about that in the years ahead. But as I knew him, I found him to be a completely fantastic guy. Uh, and uh, I, I think the sports world in general is going to be a lesser place with him gone uh, than certainly it was uh, with him a part of it. So I'm going to miss him. Uh, I'm going to miss him as a friend uh, and as a colleague. And as someone that I looked to and said, my goodness, he is just so good on Sports Talk Radio. And uh, it's rare to be an all-pro caliber athlete and then be an all-pro caliber media talent. There are relatively few of those individuals, uh, and Frank Wycheck was one of them. So uh, he's going to be missed. And uh, I hope for those of you out there who had the good fortune to hear him over the years, to interact with him, to root for him, uh, I hope you'll think about he and his family uh, as you move through the holiday season. Okay, uh, shifting gears. Let's talk about what happened in the NFL yesterday. Uh, a lot of focus on the fact that Kadarius Toney lined up offsides and he actually took away, as a result, maybe the most fabulous play of the year from Travis Kelsey catching a pass, turning and throwing it, ironically, to Kadarius Toney for a lateral touchdown that would have been an incredible evocation of the most famous play from one tight end to a wide receiver, maybe in the history of the NFL for lateral purposes. 
if the game between the Bills and the Chiefs had ended on that pass, it would have been an iconic moment that was acting as a symbolic connection to Frank Wycheck on the day that we became aware that he had passed. But instead, the NFL refs threw the flag. And some of you are going to get fired up at me here, but I don't think this should be a penalty. And, and I know some of you out there are going to lose your mind. You're going to be like, what are you talking about, Clay? His foot was over the line. He was lined up offsides. That's got to be a penalty on the offense. I disagree. And this is something that I've been arguing for years, and I've gotten into it with officials over this. There is a difference between a violation of the letter of the law and a violation that changes the outcome of a game. From an officiating perspective, if a play does not change the outcome of a play and it is not an egregious play that somebody gains an advantage from, I wouldn't throw the flag. I wouldn't, okay? To me, there's a difference between offensive offsides and defensive offsides most of the time. Most of the time, you will see the defensive offsides called when a player jumps across the line and they have an advantage towards getting to the quarterback. Kadarius Toney did not leave early. He didn't false start. You false start, you throw the flag, you're getting an advantage. I don't see any advantage that Kadarius Toney gained. Now, is he a knucklehead? Yes. Is there, uh, is there really no one to blame but him because he can look down the line and he can check with the official to make sure that he's, uh, that he's lined up correctly? All those things. I tell my own son who plays wide receiver right now in seventh grade, hey, when you get lined up, look to the official. They'll give you a help if whether or not you're on the line of scrimmage, whether you're lined up appropriately. They want to help you by and large. I don't think the flag should have been thrown there. Again, I don't think it impacted the outcome of the game. And the play that they ended up taking off, to be fair, they didn't know what the play was going to be. And if the play had just been an interception, or sorry, an incompletion, or there had been a three-yard run gain, or, or something like that, if it had been anything other than maybe the most spectacular play of the year in the NFL, then most people probably would not have cared, right? It wouldn't have gotten a lot of attention. It just would have been a redo. But I just think in that scenario with a minute left, basically, where you are battling as hard as you can, that's not a flag that I think we needed. The ref show was unnecessary there. In the same way, again, I would let penalties occur that are not germane to the actual play rather than take the ability to make a play off of an athlete. That's the way that I would ref. And so I would not have thrown the flag there for Kadarius Toney being lined up offsides. I'm sure if you go back and watch throughout the course of the game, there were other opportunities for offsides to be called. This is like, you know, I always say, I would never call in basketball an away-from-the-ball foul that is not significant when we're in, you know, any game, really. Uh, I I just, I think officials should be a part of the story less often. So my general vibe as an official would be to take action less frequently and only take action when a penalty is egregious and it directly impacts the outcome of play. I'll give you an example. If a, uh, if a defensive end is coming off the edge and he gets hogtied and tackled down and due to the extra second that the quarterback has, 
the quarterback is able to complete a pass that he otherwise is unlikely to have been able to complete, that's a flag that has to be thrown because there is a competitive advantage that is gained by the action. That is, the offensive lineman is holding to try to allow his team to have greater success, and they have greater success. You have to throw the flag there. So I would throw less flags, and I would throw them when they directly impact the outcome of the game and when someone gains a competitive advantage by cheating in some form or fashion. I did not think that was in play in that scenario. Now, as a result, the Chiefs now have fallen to 8-5. and five. They are on track. Maybe they'll win their final four, but for the worst record of the uh, Mahomes era. And if that ends up happening, maybe. Maybe Taylor Swift is seen as the Yoko Ono of the Kansas City Chiefs, the one who breaks up the Beatles dynasty. Maybe she breaks up, uh, Taylor Swift does, the Chiefs dynasty. Worth thinking about. Okay, usually we run through all of the NFL games on Tuesday. But because the college football season is basically over, congrats to Army. Glad to win on the under. Crazy ending. Great game, Army-Navy. But because there's only one college football game really to react to in FBS, uh, I will react to all of the games that took place uh, starting on Sunday. Bucks get the win over the Falcons. I'm not going to lie. The idea that anybody in the NFC South is going to be hosting a home playoff game is a flaw of the divisional system. Hey, Clay Travis here. We'll be right back. But first, here's a word. I think, humbly, that you can win a division, but you should never be able to host a home playoff game if you have a losing record. Last year, we saw the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in this division host a home playoff game. Uh, I'd be fine with you making the, uh, the wild card, but I don't think you should automatically get a home playoff game by winning a division. We may have a losing record NFC South champion. Again, I would be opposed to that. The Bengals came out and whipped the Colts, and we have got a brand new uh, superstar in the NFL, uh, and he's kind of come out of nowhere. Jake Browning uh, throws for 275 yards, two touchdowns. Bengals offense continues to roll. This is two straight victories. Credit to Joe Burrow, who gave up his luxury suite to Browning so his girlfriend and their family could sit there and watch him play at quarterback. I thought that was a really cool gesture uh, by him. Uh, Bengals get the win over the Colts. Colts were fortunate to win last week, seemed to be falling uh, by the wayside as a potential playoff team. Uh, Browns get the win over the Jags. We're back to arguing one of the great debates of decades past. Is Joe Joe Flacco elite? Uh, I think, at least on Sunday, the answer was yes. Joe Flacco went out through, uh, uh, was it four touchdown passes I think he had? I think Joe Flacco had four touchdown passes, if I'm not mistaken. And, uh, sorry, three touchdown passes. He was fantastic, got the win over the Jags, and the Browns now say that Joe Flacco is their quarterback for the rest of the year. Frustrating loss for the Jags, who were falling back to mediocrity, uh, even though the Texans and uh, the... uh, uh, the, the, the Texans and the Colts were unable to keep pace and like really kind of put a threat on them. Uh, but the Jags, I think you have to be a little bit nervous about. The positive is Trevor Lawrence came back and he played. 
So that awful ankle injury that it appeared he got last week is not actually uh, in in place. Feels like something like 9-8 and is going to end up winning the AFC South, uh, much like it did last year when, again, with the losing record, I don't think a team should be able to host a uh, home playoff game. I would bump you down and bump somebody else up from the wild card ranks, my personal opinion. Uh, in fact, I would take the top four records. Given the fact that you're playing 17 games, I would take the top four records in the NFL. I understand why they give automatic home games to divisional champs. But I just think it's wrong if you got a 12-win team, for instance, that has to go on the road because they didn't happen to win a division because maybe somebody in their division went 13-4. and I think you should reward the teams with the best records. Uh, we got the Ravens uh, taking down the Rams. One of probably the best game, walk-off, punt, return, touchdown. Uh, the Ravens are continuing to roll under Lamar Jackson. Jets whipped the Texans. Uh, and you had uh, probably the worst game of his career so far. Uh, when you actually uh, when you actually break down uh, what he did and the fact that he got knocked out with a potential concussion related issue, C.J. Stroud not very good. Zero zero at the half, and the game went over because the Jets scored thirty points and a half. I'm sorry if you're a Texans fan and you allow the Jets to score thirty points and a half, you have to question everything. Like how in the world did this end up happening? Uh, again, uh, the Bears. I- I'm worried about the Lions. I'm going to be honest with you. Lions weren't very good on Thanksgiving. They bounced back and they got the win on the road against the Saints. But this is an alarming loss for the Bears. Uh, An alarming loss to the Bears. I think the Bears are going to be in an interesting spot because they are going to have the number one overall pick because it looks like the Carolina Panthers may well go 1-16. But do the Bears decide to trade back and get a King's ransom for Caleb Williams? Or... Do they take Caleb Williams and move on from Justin Fields? This is becoming a more difficult decision potentially as we move down the stretch run of the season than may have seen the case in September and October. Saints get the win over, uh, the, like I said, the Panthers. The, the NFC South remains a mess. Uh, the Panthers are, to me, an unmitigated uh, disaster. Everything about them is awful. Bryce Young is just getting destroyed back there. He doesn't look capable of playing. Uh, he looks more like Johnny Manziel than he does Kyler Murray or Drew Brees, two other quarterbacks that were said to be undersized. Vikings get the win 3-0 over the Raiders. Disappointed to see it, but understand why it happened. Josh Dobbs got benched. Uh, neither team could come out and actually uh, uh, score at all. Uh, super mess there. 49ers get the win over the Seahawks. 49ers are the best team in football. I think should be the favorite right now uh, to win the Super Bowl. You got Brock Purdy, you got Kittle, uh, you've got uh, Debo Samuel, and certainly Christian McCaffrey just performing at an incredibly elite level. Very talented defense that can get after the quarterback. To me, 49ers, best team in the NFL right now. Bills get the win over the Chiefs. I didn't talk about the Bills side of this. Bills put themselves in a position to be able to be a wild card team, potentially sitting at seven and six now. It was a must win game for them. Chiefs have fallen back to eight and five. Uh, and what are the Chiefs? Like one and three or two and three in their last five? Not very good. I just, I just, I think the Chiefs dynasty feels like we've reached that era of Mahomes where the Chiefs are now going to have to rebuild a new cadre of talent around him. One of the underrated stories of Tom Brady is that they had to keep rebuilding the talent around him, uh, whether it was Randy Moss one year, uh, a couple of years, best receiver whether it's Rob Gronkowski, whether it's Julian Edelman, whether it's Wes Welker. They were constantly remaking the talent around Brady. 
and that was what allowed them to win championships. I think with the fact that Travis Kelsey's now 34 with Tyreek Hill gone, that the Chiefs are going to have to take the next step and figure out, can we build new talent around him? Because Kadarius Toney lined up offsides. Chiefs receivers, you can argue, have cost the Chiefs three games, maybe. I think that's why you saw Mahomes so frustrated at the end. It wasn't just uh, with uh, the way that that game ended. It was with the fact that it's the constant errors and repetitions of those errors, and they become incredibly frustrating at some point. Uh, The Broncos get the win over the Chargers. Look out. Broncos are not that far back now from being a playoff team. Russell Wilson revitalized. Sean Payton has rebuilt this team. Broncos are playing definitely like a playoff team in the AFC. And then the Cowboys went out and dominated the Eagles. Eagles are falling fast. Uh, Cowboys, Dak with the great ad, which I hope some of you saw. I think it was for colon uh, health, colonoscopy. I'm not sure exactly what it was, um, but a really funny ad that he put out. And then Dak went out and he's playing at an MVP level right now. And the Cowboys aren't just winning. They are crushing people. And you look at this Cowboys season the rest of the way uh, as they sit at 10-3. and I think the Cowboys, I don't want to jinx them, I think the Cowboys are a legit Super Bowl contender. Next week against the Bills will be an epic battle. Both teams have to, uh, especially the Bills, have to have it. Uh, Then you've got a game at the Dolphins that Sunday on, what is that, Christmas Eve? Everybody's watching that game. Fox is in love with having that game. Then you've got the Lions. Then you've got the Commanders. I like the Cowboys' chances to win uh, the division this year. I like the way that uh, that they are playing. All right, uh, we got an uh, Iowa, Des Moines. Well, hold on, let me hit Jaden Daniels. Jaden Daniels won the Heisman. I think it's the right call based on the fact that Bo Nix lost twice to Michael Penix Jr. Uh, if I if the Oregon had won, I think that Bo Nix likely would have been the Heisman Trophy winner. I think Jaden Daniels unquestioned top ten draft pick, maybe the highest ceiling of anybody. Right? I like Drake May. I like Caleb Williams. I don't think it's crazy for somebody to watch this and say, you know what? I like Jaden Daniels. Still needs to put on some weight to me. Still a little bit skinny. But freak athlete. Explosive in the passing game. Explosive running the football. Not crazy to me for people to watch tape and say, you know what? I like this guy as much as I like Caleb Williams, as much as I like Drake May. Uh, Loved that Michael Penix Jr. wore uh, the purple jacket with all of his teammates written inside. I thought that was a super awesome gesture. If you didn't see it, he wore a, 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 a suit coat jacket that had every one of his teammates' names written on the inside. Uh, I, thought that was, uh, I thought that was pretty fantastic and good for him. Uh, Shohei Otani signs a $700 million deal with the Dodgers. 10 years, an average of $70 million a year. This makes Shohei Otani the highest paid American pro sports team athlete in the history of American pro team sports. Now, the way they will justify it, the Dodgers, is a couple of things. One, they'll say, we're not paying $70 million for a hitter or $70 million for a pitcher. We're paying, playing for both, paying for both. Now, the reality is Otani may not p- pitch again until 25, and that's assuming he comes back at a healthy level. He's 29 years old. So do you feel like you're going to have a decade's worth of incredible play from him? That's clearly the wager. Second part of this from a financial perspective is the Dodgers are basically saying we're going to make a lot of money off of 
Asian-related advertisements because LA and California in general is seen as the gateway to Asia in the United States. Uh, And so as a result, the Dodgers are gambling that they're going to make a ton of money off of that relationship. Still hard to think of how they can pay $700 million. Now, backside of this is what you see with most of these crazy deals is on the backside, they don't look as expensive. Here's where I would say with uh, Otani, the question is, if he never pitches at a high level again, and maybe he will, certainly the Dodgers are gambling that he will, I think it's going to be hard to justify $70 million for just a offensive player. Now again, maybe he's going to be end up uh, uh, being able to pitch as well. This is a huge win for Major League Baseball. Having Otani to go, even if, though he's staying in LA, having him go from the Angels, which most people don't pay very much attention to, to the Dodgers, that I think it's fair to say, what would you say? Probably, if I ranked the five teams that people care about the most in Major League Baseball, in no particular order, I think you'd have to say Yankees, Dodgers, Cubs, uh, Braves, Red Sox, right? That'd be pretty fair to say those are the five teams that people care about the most on a national level. Getting Otani to the Dodgers and Soto to uh, the Yankees is going to mean, I think, really good things for Major League Baseball, which feels a bit like it's having a cultural renaissance that's connected, to be fair, to the decision uh, to shorten the games. I got to tell you, I went to six Major League Baseball games last year. Went to the Atlanta Braves, took my boys six straight games. I got to tell you, it was pretty phenomenal how much faster the games were. Boys were so much more engaged. Games were just way better. Pretty fantastic, honestly. Um, and uh, and I think that factors in in a big way. So huge win for the Dodgers. A couple of other things that are out there that I think are worth discussing. Iowa Des Moines Register poll came out this morning. And we had Ron DeSantis on the program, Clay and Buck. And I'll talk about that here momentarily. Uh, but to me, what stands out here is I want to make sure I get the uh, the numbers right. I've got them on my phone. Uh, Trump, 51%. This is the Des Moines Register and NBC News poll. DeSantis, 19%. Nikki Haley, 16 Vivek Ramaswamy at 5 Chris Christie at 4 What stands out to me here is since the end of October, Trump has gained 8 points. DeSantis has gained 3. Vivek has gained 1. Everybody else has basically stayed the same. So Trump is in an incredibly strong spot for him to be up this much. Now, I think DeSantis will finish in second place. But the question is going to linger and it's going to remain the same. How long is Nikki Haley, how long are Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis both going to stay in this race? Because I think it's clear that Vivek and Chris Christie, at least as we sit 35 days out, appear to not be major factors in winning in Iowa or to a certain extent, New Hampshire. So I think both those guys are going to be gone sooner rather than later. And I think the question is, if Trump wins and Trump wins by anything near this margin, this thing is over, right? If Trump gets 45% of the vote or 50% of the vote, and the next closest person is 20-some-odd points behind him, I think it's going to be hard 
to argue that we've got a real race. So we'll see what happens there. Um, also, we got a CNN poll of Michigan, which has Trump up 10, uh, and a CNN state poll of Georgia, which has uh, him uh, up five. And so to me, a lot of people out there are like, oh, it's a conspiracy. I don't buy into the polls. There's no way Trump is leaving. I disagree. Because there was also a Wall Street Journal poll that came out. And I think the race is basically who's able to do the job, who's mentally and physically fit to do the job. Trump has a 48-14 lead over Joe Biden. 34-point lead. This is about Joe Biden not having the mental or physical fitness to be president more than it's about Trump or anybody else. I've been saying for a couple months now, I think Vivek Ramaswamy, Nikki Haley, Ron DeSantis, or Donald Trump would all beat Joe Biden. And I think probably the biggest story here, uh, to me, that stands out as we, as we analyze all of this is Biden's weakness. When we started the campaign a year ago, when Trump announced that he was going to be running, the story was, hey, uh, who can beat Biden? Who's the strongest option to beat Joe Biden? I think that's changed. Because now I think the story is, everybody kind of presumes that Biden would lose, I think. And so who the Republicans pick is secondary because Biden is such a bad candidate. And so some people out there are like, oh, the, this is a conspiracy. The polls aren't real. Don't, I disagree, right? If every poll is saying the same thing, I think it's telling us the story and you should pay attention to it. It's that Biden's very weak. Now, if the polls end up tightening and it ends up like a two or three point difference, then okay, like that's like a tight basketball game or a tight football game. It could go either way. Right now, what's happening is Trump is pulling away. And I think one reason he's pulling away is because the lawfare is not working. I think Democrats gambled that if they brought charges with Jack Smith and they brought charges on the classified documents and they brought charges on New York City paperwork disputes and Atlanta brought charges related to the electors there and everything else, that Trump would be harmed. I think the opposite's occurring. I think Trump's been strengthened, and I think most people are seeing this as a political hit job. And that's why, and I'll talk about this more in detail tomorrow, but that's why Jack Smith trying to accelerate his appeal is so important. Democrats are desperate to try to get a conviction on Trump because I think they recognize that otherwise they're going to lose. And I don't think they're going to be able to get more than one case complete and increasingly, I don't even think they're going to be able to get that case complete because I think Trump has got very valid arguments about presidential powers in the Washington, D.C. case. I actually think that the strongest case out there is South Florida over classified document retention. But that case is certainly not going to be resolved, I don't think, uh, before we get to November's election. And so I think increasingly Jack Smith is seeing this time issue and I think he's panicked because I think he's recognizing that getting the race, uh, getting the race impacted by the case is actually becoming more and more complicated. We'll talk about that a little bit more tomorrow. I'll lay out my time frame on it. Uh, finally, Ron DeSantis came on and told us a story that I haven't heard anywhere else. He said that Gavin Newsom's wife walked out 
during the commercial break of the debate he had between with Governor uh, Gavin Newsom of California and his wife ended the debate because she didn't want it to go on any longer. And they came back, if you were watching the debate, Sean Hannity said, both parties have agreed, we're going to go ahead and call the rest of the debate off and we'll start to react to whatever was said. But Ron DeSantis came on Clay and Buck today and said actually what happened was Gavin Newsom's wife walked out onto a closed TV set and essentially threw in the towel and said, we can't do this anymore, which is a holy crap moment. If you want to know whether you were getting your butt kicked or not in a debate, if your wife walks in and says, we can't do this anymore, it's a pretty good sign that you were getting uh, your butt kicked in a big way. Uh, All right. I love all of you. My name is Clay Travis. This has been Outkick the Show. Uh, If you can help with the tornado victims, do so. Uh, Rest in peace, Frank Wycheck. Incredible talent, both on and off the field. Uh, And uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Same bat time, same bat channel. This, again, has been Outkick the Show.